Hello and welcome to Cage Club, two fans, one cage. This is episode 98, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse from 2018. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today, before we introduce our guests, and there are three of them, it's the first time we've ever had three guests. Mike, there's a couple things I want to talk about first up. First and foremost, our friend, our colleague on the network here, Brian Rodriguez, did an episode of his show, High School Slumber Party, about Peggy Sue Got Married. That is So right. if you like Cage movies, go check that out. New perspective with uh, Kate Hudson, but not the Kate Hudson. Or, I guess <laughs> if you ask her if you listen to the episode, she is the Kate Hudson, yeah. but it's not the Kate Hudson you maybe know about. And also not Katy Perry, the other Kate Hudson you may know about. <laughs> yeah, that was a great episode. we got to have her on in the future. She is a she loves Cage the way we love Cage. So that'll be she a does, great She combo. does, she does. Yeah. Another bit of news. Recently announced uh, Jiu-Jitsu, oh, yeah. a new Nicolas Cage movie where he's going to be fighting an alien that returns to Earth every six years. I don't know more about it. <laughs> I want to see it. Well, I mean, of course I want to see it, but like... I think you know. I just read a, a small additional sentence that says he may not be fighting the alien. He may be more of like a, a master trainer type, or, or maybe he fought the alien in the past because it comes every six years. Mm, but uh, mm. I believe they, they tapped a martial arts uh, actor to star in it, if I'm not mistaken. But I don't, okay. I'm trying not to spoil anything for myself. Okay. The final little bit of news, I'm only saying this because Mad Holly Gore just sent this to us. Uh, Holly was on our Outcast episode. She was on maybe a couple other episodes. She was on Wicker Man? Uh, she's also been on other podcasts so. we've done more yes, recently. That's, yeah, that was a great episode. So she sent me a, a link from the Daily Mail exclusive. Quote, she is going to take all my money. <laughs> Drunk Nicholas Cage makes a scene at Las Vegas Courthouse while applying for marriage license with his girlfriend as actor bizarrely yells about her drug dealer ex-boyfriend. Mm. So I didn't read the full story. I don't mm. really want to know, but I hope, Same. Nicholas Cage, whatever you're going through, uh, you get the help you need, and yep. it's a bummer to see these kind of stories. Because it's like you remember a year or two ago, Mike, when he was with Vince Neil in public, and Vince Neil was a mm-hmm. mess. Yeah. But Cage was like the, the the voice of reason, and you know here it looks like he, he needs a little bit of help or something. But yeah, you know, I hope that he gets the, the help he needs. One reason we try and avoid some of these stories. Don't want to feel bad, but like, yeah, I definitely think. Hope he gets the help he needs. No more stories like this, please. <laughs> no more. No mas. Now, the final thing, and this is the most important thing of the night, uh, Mike, we got an email. Oh, sweet. We got an email from Lena Siva. I hope I'm saying your last name right. S-I-V-A. Subject line, cracking the code of the movie Trespass. Ooh, which, Mike, you yes. and I talk about a lot about how ben Seeking Justice. Yeah, Seeking Justice and Stolen our our, our favorite mm-hmm. uh, of the, the Street of VOD. But Trespass is one that has a special it's place in our heart because it's complicated and confusing and not in good ways. And also... And Nicole Kidman. She's great. Also yeah. Nicole Kidman. One of our guests, or actually multiple of our guests, but one guest in particular, uh, has a special bond with the guest of ours who was on our revisited episode, Chris Podcasts, mm-hmm. the three of us watched it early in Cage Clipper Visit. I think probably the first four or five episodes. We're like, we don't understand it. So Lena writes in, Dear Cage Club team, I was listening to your podcast on the movie Trespass. I don't know if you're still interested in hearing an interpretation of this movie more than three years after your podcast, but here <laughs> goes. And Lena... Oh, absolutely interested. Yes. Absolutely interested. I think the key to deciphering this movie lies with the younger brother, Thug. I believe this man has fallen head over heels in love with Nicole Kidman's character, obsessively so. She doesn't seem to reciprocate, and in his mind, the only way to get her is to get rid of Cage's character. 
so he botches his brother's simple drug deal with another gang so that he can manipulate his brother into the heist. This is spoilers <laughs> for Trespass for everybody listening. So I just realized, <laughs> stop listening if you haven't seen it, but also... Go watch Trespass. Ben Mendelsohn. Hopefully killing Cage in the process. I believe the thug from the other gang reveals this in the end before he dies. That being said, I don't know if Cage realizes any of this before killing the younger brother thug in the end. However, I think the younger brother thug realizes that Nicole Kidman's character is never going to fall for him by the end, and that is why he is all willing to kill her in the end. I think the script initially may have had the younger brother thug as the lead, a man so obsessively in love he is willing to betray his brother and manipulate him into killing his lover's husband. In this context, Cage is not even the secondary but rather tertiary character. Maybe that's why he was reluctant initially to play the character he was given. I think maybe in trying to put the focus on Cage, logic in the narrative was sidelined. This is just pure speculation, however. I really enjoyed all your podcasts on Cage movies that I've had a chance to listen to so far. Looking forward to more. Thank you for all the great work, fellow Cage fan, Lena. Wow, well, shout email. out, Lena. Thank you for writing in. Wow. That might be right. I don't know that it helps me understand <laughs> Trespass anymore because you know. it's still like a, a, a disaster of a, a narrative. Yeah. But I love talking about Trespass. Yeah, totally. All I'll say is there's a lot more going on than a simple diamond heist in that movie, mm. apparently. I mean, <laughs> deeper, deeper levels. I got to watch that movie again. I really enjoy that movie, even though it is not very good. It's intense. It's super. Everyone is, is super intense and having a meltdown the entire movie. So you get crazy Cage, crazy Mendelssohn, crazy Kidman. The daughter is the uh, daughter's friend from The Leftovers. It's Amy, who has a crush on mm-hmm. Kevin Garvey in the first season. She's the daughter, so that's exciting. Uh, but yeah, Trespass. Go watch Trespass. You can play. I bought it on Blu-ray a week after it came out for $4. Like, a week <laughs> after it came out, it was on Blu-ray for $4. So... You can go get it get very... A, I think it also might be a Netflix. version. <laughs> oh, boy. Can you imagine? Enough of all of that. Thank you for writing in, Lena. We have an email address. If you want to write in, mailbag at cageclub.me. We'll read it on the next episode of the next Revisited or whatever. But with us tonight... Okay, so, Mike, mm-hmm. we've got two podcasts here on the network that this movie is right up the alley but doesn't quite fall under the mm-hmm. jurisdiction of either. We've got a podcast all about Marvel comics. We've got a podcast all about Marvel movies. And yet, this sort of falls outside of the purview of each, because it's not an MCU, and it's not an X-Men movie. However, Spider-Man has been in X-Men comics as their podcast covers. But with us tonight, three hosts of these podcasts. We have almost all of the hosts of these podcasts. With us today from X's for Podcast and HTML, Husbands Talking More or Less, we have Nico Vasillo, Kevo Reese, and Jonah Rubino. Hello, everyone. Hey, I just got to say, I think it makes a lot of sense that it took a while for us to come in, because then it's exactly like the movie. It starts out with two Spider-Men, and all the other Spider-Men join later. Oh, yeah, the team comes. That is wonderful. Actually, I was talking to Mike before. There's on the Blu-ray, there's a little Spider-Ham four-minute short, and the last thing he says as he gets... It's basically, it's like what was happening in his world before the multiverse collapsed, and the last thing he says is, I hope I don't miss the first 62 minutes and then he gets sucked into the little vortex so you guys came in six or seven minutes in but we are glad to have you here our spider-man noir our peter porker and our penny parker i will let the three of you decide who is who i call spider ham i would like to be penny parker yeah that feels about right (laughs) kevo is the nicholas cage of our group i love it i mean that makes that that works for us so welcome all to the cage club podcast there's you know Cage is, he enters this movie 62 minutes in, he leaves about 94 minutes in, in that half an hour or so that is, that he's exists in this world, he's not on screen a whole ton, so I'm glad that we have 
some comic book experts, some Marvel experts, some Spider-Man experts to talk about what I think is arguably the best comic book movie that's ever been made. I'm going to put it out there. I think, I don't know if this is the best comic book movie ever made, but I definitely know this is the most Spider-Man anything has ever been. There has (laughs) never been a better encapsulation of the feeling of Spider-Man. My thing is a little bit more X-Men and Daredevil, as I'm sure you might have noticed. But mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we have Fisk in this, so that's, that's a crossover. Man, and it was literally the Daredevil interpretation of Fisk. It's very clearly Bill Sienkiewicz's Fisk from his later Daredevil body of work. It's absurd how cleverly they copied and borrowed and stylized based on iterations, not just an overall interpretation. This wasn't just a movie for casual fans. This was a movie for fandom. That was amazing. But I really think this was such a Spider-Man film. It was about the the notes and nodes that make Spider-Man Spider-Man. I got the same kind of feeling when Daredevil season one came out. I was like, yes, this is a reward for being a Daredevil fan. This was the payoff for however many years you've been a Spider-Man fan. And now I know that uh, Jonah, the reason that X is for podcasts exists is because on some level Jonah loves Nightcrawler and wants to read the X-Men comics with you guys and talk about them. And I know that you love Nightcrawler, but Jonah, I also hear from Nico that you are also a huge Spider-Man fan that you even, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on air, but you also cosplay Spider-Man. Is that true? Uh, Yes, it's absolutely true. Spider-Man is one of those characters that I think everyone closer around to my age knows about because he was probably the biggest hero. Everyone wanted to be Spider-Man. Everyone wanted the Spider-Man merch. Everyone wants to just look like him. And so it was Mm -hmm. really nice to have a movie that was so many Spider-Man, so many Peters, and everyone else packed into one. What I think is also really smart about this movie, and it's something that you guys talked about on HTML when you covered Homecoming, was that they know that we all know the origin story of Spider-Man, that they tell it probably the quickest it's ever been told. They also tell it six times, because there's like six different origin stories here. (laughs) But they also reference, there's iconic things like the upside-down kiss, or the train top battle, or the... Mm -hmm dancing down with the finger guns down you know down main street there's even a ferry scene in this from homecoming so like the movie is very smart in knowing that it's referencing these other spider-man spider-men's apologies to andrew garfield i don't know that the amazing spider-man is really uh, too well represented here but maybe he is maybe i just don't know about it no i don't i think i don't think he is as yeah well. <laughs> not so much i think they mostly just show a bunch of toby Maguire stuff which is funny because toby Maguire was almost considered for the role of peter b parker uh, I'm but- sorry, guys, I don't mean to barge in, but if I may remind you all, he prefers Tugboat. So sorry. Apologies. <laughs> Apologies. It is Tugboat Maguire. <laughs> he gets so mad. He, he does. gets so mad, guys. It's Tugboat Maguire. Mr. Tugboat All right, Tugboat Maguire. Well, he's too busy hanging out with Leo and the rest of the posse to... Uh... To have been oh, in this the pussy posse, the infamous pussy posse. Making I'm glad the he's not because the most sterile version of Great Gatsby possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you said the two of them Seriously. together, I actually for a second was like, why would they know each other? Oh, right, that movie. Yeah. It was pretty. They made that movie because they're IRL best friends and wanted to make a movie together. That bastardization was foisted upon us because they wanted to get paid for jacking off in their trailers. Well, you know, they, it worked, I guess, because we got a Beyonce, we got a got a Lana Del Rey song out of it. I think we yeah. maybe got a Beyonce song. We got a Fergie song. We got a little party yeah. never uh, killed oh, nobody. We did get a Fergie song. And you That's know very, me and very Fergie. True. This has a Biggie song in it, which was awesome. Uh, this this soundtrack is incredible. Like this is yeah. you know if if now and again next summer you know because this summer is the summer of the emotion minute uh, first episode dropping next week 
if next summer, if you ever wanted to cover just, you know, Chris and Jarrett talk about, you know, the Tony Hawk soundtracks, I feel like there's definitely room to cover movie soundtracks like this one, like The Great Gatsby, you know, these ones that just feel right at home with the movie, but also not at all what you would first expect from the movie. Like the fact, and Mike, when we saw this in December, the first thing I said after we were done was like, I think it's the first Spider-Man, the first Marvel movie that's ever had the notorious B.I.G. Like it just, it's crazy. Like, but it's so, it's so Mm -hmm. fitting and so perfect for this world. And I love the soundtrack. Yeah, absolutely. And I was, I've always just humming that song that, that Miles is singing in his room in my head. And then climactic theme is just great. Like everything, like they managed to make this iconic in and of itself as well on top of the iconography of Spider-Man in general. You know, there's nothing tired about this at all. You know, everything is so refreshing as I'm watching, as I'm listening and everything. I do just want to comment. I know that we're going to talk about film canosity, and that's important. You know, films are films are films. But there's also the Marvel Netflix universe, which is a beautiful bastard unto itself, not to keep bringing it mm-hmm. up. The extensive use of Biggie as a iconoclastic representation of modern black deities. He represented media as a concept, as a kingdom. After the Harlem Renaissance and Biggie on Luke Cage was a major facet in terms of depicting wealth and power in Hmm. Luke Cage's black community. So I know that the films haven't used it extensively, but they make multiple shots that are the emotional climax of the arc, to be completely real with you, focus around uh, that very famous painting of Biggie with the crown. Multiple people stand in front of that painting so they wear Biggie's crown, and that means you've risen to the top on Luke Cage. So really interesting place where... True, it hasn't been in a film, but there is a wealth of material to mine. And you can find out more about it on (laughs) mcu.html. I mean, that's just another level where they're just taking and borrowing from all the Marvel stuff, right? Where it's like they probably knew all of that about the Marvel shows on Netflix and how much Biggie is a part of it. And so to drop that in here and make it represent Miles's uncle kind of instantly can, you can connect a dot if you're familiar with that. So that's pretty cool. And if not, it's just amazing that they put a Biggie song in a kid's movie, mm-hmm. essentially. Well, I mean, it's not entirely a children's film, but I mean, you can, I brought my nine-year-old nephew to this, so. Yeah, kid-friendly. Yes. Everything that you're like, is, did this movie just do it, or is it like referencing something? I feel like we always have to give the movie the benefit of the doubt, because I feel like this is a very smart, well-referenced, well-researched, just passionate movie, to the point where I'm sure you guys read about it or saw it or whatever. It's something that actually, you know, Nico and Kevo talked about on MCE or H.HTML. When they first, when, when Miles first gets to his uncle's apartment, he's watching the episode of Community where Donald Glover is dressed as Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah, so fucking cool. Like, I didn't see that the first time I read about it and I was like, what? And so I looked and it's just, it's it's the animated style of that scene of him in the like getting out of the bed with the, the outfit on and man season two episode one it's the little it's the little things 
season two, episode one. Yeah. There's this history of Marvel in the community world that Kevin went into great detail about the the Russo brothers and like all of this, you know, history and all of this cross-pollination and then Donald Glover showing up in Spider-Man Homecoming and everything and just having him here it's just another like loving little detail like a literally a blink and you'll miss it but just wonderful you know and you said you wonder whether it's them or whether it's something they got from something else that they're referencing but I think that's even part of it and that's part of what this film represents is the fable of Spider-Man and the many interpretations and the wealth of canonical and non-canonical reinterpretations of the character and how they all combine together into one spirit and even if every bit of everything that we love from this film is inspired by something else they knew to reference it and they put in the thought and the attention to detail to bring that out and i think that still makes it really great i want to jump in on something kevo said because when and something joey said and something my this is just (laughs) a terrible hole when you said that you felt like we have to give the film the benefit of the doubt that everything is probably a nod to something else i kind of have to agree i felt like literally every single second was 100 percent a moment that paid tribute to something paid tribute to something we talked about it a bit in the homecoming episode of mcu how many moments were nods to other really great things and how frequently these films are peppered with them they're just pepper pots with them i felt like this was probably the film that was the most referential of other things down to some of those cut panels were like references to real panels Mm -hmm. and i thought it was tremendous i'm a big fan of progressive storytelling you may have noticed and (laughs) i actually i do love peter parker i think he's great but i also think it's really important to see shakeups to the status quo my favorite spider-man is miguel o'hara so clearly we're gonna have a moment where i start screaming at some point in this episode and i get so happy as as a half irish half latino there's something about him i really connect to (laughs) i love me anyway Anyway, so back to the point of the story. I was kind of embittered that Silk wasn't in the film. For those of you who don't know, Silk is a more recent Spider character. She's a woman and she kicks ass. I was also really disappointed that there was no iteration of Mayday Parker, who is Pete's daughter from a future timeline, MC2. She does show up in Edge of the Spider-Verse, the comic this is based Mm. on. She's tremendous. I love her. There's a number of other really tremendous spider women and spider adjacent characters like the tarantula, who is a South American drug kingpin vigilante who turns good with Spider-Man's help. I was really disappointed when I came into this film that I was like, you know what? I've been putting this off forever, but the guys want to have us on. That's amazing. Fine. We'll watch it. And we watched it and it had just won the Oscar. I'm going into it and I'm kind of like, no silk, no tarantula. No spider girl. I'm going to fucking spider woman. I don't know I'm watching this shit. This is the prettiest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> oh my God. I'm webbing myself. Thwip, 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 thwip. What's happening? And like, I was moved by the amount of detail put into every second of this film. Yeah. It's pretty crazy too. And like, I mean, it manages to also sort of create its own versions. Cause like this is Miles Morales, but it's not really the ultimate universe Miles Morales. It's its own sort of incarnation of that too. So that's great as well that it doesn't have to be so strictly beholden to anything you know that it came from like i read those spider verse into the spider verse arc that's about the time i last stopped collecting i thought it was great and like i love british spider-man and like doc ock was inside of spider-man's mind at one point and like that was a really interesting take and like you know i think what's going on is they wanted to test the waters a bit and even see if 
audiences could comprehend what they had conjured up here because it is just on so many levels just so assaulting you know and like it's there's weird. so much it's a to, weird movie too it's just yeah weird. there's so much to just really wrap your head around and i think now since people were like no this is like kind of what we've all been waiting for and hoping for on a level like i think they're gonna blow it open now and nico you're definitely gonna see all those characters emerge at some point probably or versions of them and stuff because yeah this this was like a total success so i think there's definitely gonna be a lot more yeah this movie had a 90 million dollar budget domestically made 190 worldwide made another 182 so made 372 worldwide they think even before this movie came out, they had already announced that they're going to have a sequel. It's kind of like the, the Fast and Furious. It's like an all-female sequel, right? Like it's an all... They're going to have Spider-Gwen and all these different characters. And so I think you might have all those characters, a subsequent movie. And just fingers crossed forever for a Spider-Man noir movie because it's 1933. We like drinking egg creams and fighting Nazis a lot. And like, give me that movie. I do believe they are doing something with the the females, but I believe it's going to be much closer to like the Spider-Women line. So you're going to have a lot of the iterations of Spider-Woman and Spider-Girl, which I'm fine with. Bring it. Bring it. Bring it. Bring it. But I really need to see a Penny, Peter Porker, and Noir. If anybody knows Planetary, I kind of just need it to be like Planetary, and that would be incredible. They should get like a real dark animated series on Hulu. Wow, that's actually a great call to, to drop this into that format. You need to be able to be adaptive. If what you're trying to do is tell a story about multiversity, if what you're wanting to do is get us to understand that what Spider-Man is, is a drive inside of all of us to be better, a drive inside of all of us to save the day no matter the personal cost. If what you want us to understand is that we're all Spider-Man and no one's ever alone, you need to remember that this needs to be multiversal. You gave me six Spider-Man or seven Spider-Man in two hours, and that's great, but if you want me to accept this as an ongoing universe, I want 25 fucking Spider-Man, dude. Yeah. I want a version of the superior Spider-Man where that's the first time he's a good guy, where Doc Ock switching into Spider-Man is the first time that timeline Spider-Man is ever a good guy. Give me that. Give me something bizarre. Give me something weird because you're not going to keep me unless you push me just as far. I don't know enough about the history of Spider-Man. Like, basically, all I know about Spider-Man is from the last six and a half movies, the ha- well, I guess six and two half movies, like Civil War and Infinity War. I guess I should assume, maybe, that because like, everything is possible, but I, like the fact that Doc Ock becomes Spider-Man is like blowing my mind right now. Yeah, I mean, it took, it took like, what, 60 years for that to happen or something. But, but still, yeah. like no, the fact that that true. happens at all. Yeah. Mind swaps are much more common to comics than you'd think. The best body swaps of Sunrise Bay Season 5. It's much more common in comics to have people suddenly switch bodies. I'm going to blow JoJo's mind for a second. He might want to cover his ears. Emma Frost and Storm switch bodies inexplicably at one point for just like a two-parter. And then they switch back and everything's fine. It's just not weird for people to switch brains in comics. What was weird was the superior Spider-Man, superior being the term that Marvel then used to indicate that that was an evil iteration of that character. So for instance, the superior Iron Man, Tony Stark had his good polarity axis flipped and that is the last we will ever speak of Rick Remender was temporarily evil and he was the superior Iron Man is that Iron, young Iron Man from the future who was blasted into the past and then no no that's Avengers the Crossing we just hate that <laughs> this is right after 
Axis right before Secret War. Okay, that was a while ago. Yeah, it was just bad. It was just bad. It was just bad. Let us talk about Spider-Man Noir, the reason we are here today. My name is Peter Parker. In my universe, it's 1933, and I'm a private eye. I like to drink egg creams, and I like to fight Nazis. A lot. Sometimes I let matches burn down to my fingertips just to feel something, anything. He knocks some guy out at the end during the collider fight across the screen, and you know how they do sort of like the old Batman 66 font comes up when Mm -hmm. they hit someone, the onomatopoeia. It says applesauce. Really? (laughs) That's the... When he connects with the guy, applesauce. On IMDb, there's like 160-something bits of trivia, and I'm not going to read them all because that's crazy, but there's so much good trivia on there if you want to know about the inspirations and just the love and the passion, but there's one thing that I remember reading on there. Peter B. Parker loves bagels in this movie. There's a couple different times he mentions bagels, eating bagels. Apparently there's one time where a bagel hits a scientist in the head, and the little word that pops up is bagel. This movie just, it's doing the little things right. And he's apparently uh, Jewish in this you know, in this uh, yeah. iteration as well. Yes. Like when he steps on the glass at the mm-hmm. wedding. Yeah, so maybe, I don't love know, it. that's the bagel thing too. But You want that he should web someone? <laughs> No, he wed. He wed someone. And now you never call? So, so let's talk about Spider-Man Noir. Can the Nico Kevo, Jonah delegation please give a little bit of background? Because I don't know anything about Spider-Man Noir other than he debuted like 10 years ago that Cage plays him in this movie. I know roughly his backstory, what we get in here, but like, who is Spider-Man Noir? Why does that exist? And is it weird or is it fitting that he's in this movie? About 40 years ago, because this is how I tell stories, you guys... <laughs> Comics realized that these entities and these IPs were beginning to cycle already too quickly, right? We were already seeing the ideas get rehashed and because canon became king. It used to be as long as it said Captain America, it sold. But then it became more about canon and canon had to be more important. So you saw any sort of like, oh, this could happen or this kind of side universe kind of get shunted from these fun stories where our characters are sometimes thrust into them or in an annual, that kind of thing. And you saw them become these expensive miniseries, for lack of a better way to put it, uh, these kind of like prestige, premiere, nicer cover, cardstock, glossier paper, that kind of thing. And the noir line was one of the more successful attempts at creating a small subline because when the ultimate comics were created the idea was everybody should be able to jump in great but within six years you had a hundred issues of ultimate spider-man well now it's not so easy to jump in so they wanted to keep creating these sort of short form universes that people could connect into kind of like dial into and dial back out of and the noir line was one such line now some of them were connected some of them weren't There was Spider-Man Noir. There were two different X-Men Noirs, Luke Cage Noir. Do I think it makes sense that it's here? It was really a corporate tie-in that everybody did the best they could with. Everybody tried real hard. Mm -hmm. I really, it's not good, but everyone tried real, real hard. For that, I appreciate it. If you had told me, if I had known he was in this movie prior to finding out more about this movie and its success, I would have been like, oh man, they're trying to tank this thing before it even comes out. (laughs) What they were ultimately able to capture was a really unique, frenetic, frantic magic. There's something honest about Spider-Man noir that the others don't have. The others all have to wisecrack, but Spider-Man Noir just wants to get through the day. And that's darkly funny. <laughs> I think what it's, what's wonderful, and I think, Mike, we might have talked about this a little bit on the uh, recorded live from the parking lot of the Garden State Plaza <laughs> movie theater. When we <laughs> After talked about seeing that this two weeks episode. early and filling yeah. out surveys and everything. 
and just demanding more in Spider-Man Noir. But I think what's what's amazing about this is that you take a thing that people either don't know or might not seem to gel, and you bring it in here, and then you let Nicolas Cage be that. And, you know, like right. we saw in Dog Eat Dog and a couple other movies recently where he just yes. wants to be Humphrey Bogart. Yes. And it, it just works. Yes. And that needs he needs to make a period piece detective film. One thing I really like about all of the spider people that they brought into this is sort of the randomness of it and how it doesn't seem like they would work together and yet they work together like really well. On, on one level, I like that, but I read some of those noir comics at the time and something that really sort of sparked my interest about them is like, well, Marvel wasn't around during the 40s, right? Like they didn't really have that detective comics phase when those early Batman comics were like sort of trying to be hard-boiled and things like that and so I almost felt like it was their shot at trying to make like some of their characters more like Batman or something like that like let's throw them into a gothic setting or the noir world and yeah that works and something about that connects you know definitely by throwing Cage in there doing like you said Joey his Humphrey Bogart voice and all that and just like pulling out all those stops and stuff like something about all of that that for me like really just like hit home and i love the attention to the detail that he from the from the jump when they first see him they say is he in black and white and then that comes back in in little ways throughout when he loves the rubik's cube and he's trying to solve the rubik's cube and not only solve the rubik's cube but just like identify colors where he's like this is purple they're like no and blue no it's the, the the thought process for incorporating someone from a different universe into here and the commitment to the part and the overall package that it's providing, it's just, it's wonderful. And I cannot get enough Spider-Man noir. I just, I, I kind of wish that there was more, but I also wonder if by not having a ton in this movie, we like him as, I mean, obviously Mike, you and I would love him if literally he was on screen for all 150 or 116 minutes, but just picking their spots and throwing a jab here and there with Spider-Man noir makes him as wonderful as he is because he's not overused. Yeah, I almost wondered if they should have done a little five-minute short about all of the extra people in that end up in the universe, not just Spider-Ham. Yeah. You know, also, again, like, if this ended up somewhere on, like, you know, even Disney Channel, there's, I don't know, but something like that, then he would get an episode, and that would be cool. So I'm going to say, obviously, my favorite Spider-Man is in this movie is Spider-Man Noir for obvious reasons. Uh, Mike, is yours also Noir or is yours someone else? And I want to go around to the to our <laughs> guests, mean, but I want to, Mike, is your, is, yours, is your favorite Noir or is your favorite somebody else? I gotta say, like, I do love Noir, but, like, I gotta, I, I'd be lying if I didn't wholeheartedly, like, identify with Peter B. Parker. <laughs> this guy pushing 40 who doesn't know what the hell he's gonna do with the rest of his life, like, can't commit, like, all the same sort of, like, phobias, like, started sparking up. I don't know, like, I, I love this Peter B. Parker character. Like, I just identified with him. I love the voice talent behind it and everything, so I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I know it's sacrilegious. No, 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 no. It's That's the why I'm asking the podcast, and I, I love the noir character, but... I gotta say, what they did with Spider-Man here is just, like, awesome. Plus, you know, Jake Johnson from New Girl, he, he kills it as Peter B. Parker. Jonah, what about you? Who is your favorite in this movie? What's your Who's your favorite iteration of Spider-Man? You know, I think I have a tie between Spider-Gwen and Miles Morales. I think both of them represent things that I identify with and that I love, in that they're what Spider-Man was meant to be, that anybody could be a hero, and it's two different versions of that. And I think they represent both of what they are meant to stand for so well. And I think their chemistry was so interesting to watch and how Gwen, who sheltered herself off, came around to people and how we see Miles grow to be the Spider-Man that we want him to be. 
And I think I just fell in love with both of those characters a little more than everybody else. But I think all the other Spider-Mans touched my heart in a different way. And But I think those two really pulled. Love it. Kevo, what about you? Who's your favorite? Who's your Spider-Man of choice? My answer is three-pronged. I would say okay. I probably most identify with Peter B. Don't we all at this age? <laughs> Especially with Jake Johnson, uh, Nick is the character I most identify with on New Girl as sure. well. I love yeah. him. I think the coolest is Spider Woman. Is Gwen? I love her design. I love her story. I think she's super cool. I think she's an awesome take on the character. And also, just real quick to jump in, I think she also has the coolest entrance in this movie. They're just mm-hmm. indoors swimming through the forest, and you know Doc Ock attacks, and then out of nowhere she comes in. Like it just—that's I think. For my money, that's the that's the best entrance in this movie. So it's definitely props to her and her character there. Absolutely. But favorite is Aunt May. Lily Tomlin and the portrayal of Aunt May in this film are like amazing, and she is my favorite of this Spider Core because she has to count. She has to at least count as much as Alfred would count in the Bat Family. Sure. I'd say. Oh yeah. So yeah. she's a uh, pretty badass. There's su- that's such a beautiful moment where Peter B shows up, and it's not his Aunt May, and he's not her Peter, but they still recognize one another and you know love one another and you're like how does she know so quickly that they're from another universe and it's like oh right because they're the fourth and fifth ones to come here they're the last people to think (laughs) well and how many years has she known that peter is spider-man she's probably dealt with stuff like this before so like we're seeing an aunt may who's well versed in spider antics and i love that secret identity stuff is cool for a little while but i love seeing when the family's involved instead and as much as I'm trying to avoid spoilers for upcoming movies that I know that I'm going to see, I know that a big part of Far From Home is her sort of working with Peter to oh, sort of yes. bridge that gap or, you know, find that balance between public and private personas and stuff like that. So That's just a terrific ending to just a movie in general, to the end of Homecoming. One of the great, like, final moments of a movie when she finds out he's Spider-Man. Yeah. And like they <laughs> yes. said on, you know, not to not to quote people who are on our episode, I think it was Nika who said it, but, like, it has one of the, the perfect, the most perfect, like, cutoffs at the end of a movie where it's just like, what the fuck? Cut to credits. Like, it's, it's perfectly timed. It's a perfect joke. Everything's wonderful. So, Nico, who is your favorite Spider-Man in Into the Spider-Verse? Peter Porker. (laughs) (laughs) He has hammer space and fuck everything but that. He is exactly what he's meant to be. Peter Porker is kind of like a Howard the Duck, a She-Hulk, a Deadpool. Characters who routinely break the fourth wall as a method of communicating their concept and their character. And he was just such a perfect interpretation of what is sometimes frankly fucking sorcery in a movie that needed some realism grounding it but is he really a spider that was bitten by a radioactive pig that's what he says (laughs) i mean i only i remember him as a little kid in a comic called what the which was a ripoff of what if and it was like all of the Marvel characters were animals, and he was Spider-Ham. I forgot about him for 25, 30 years, and here he is? Like, it blew my mind. Yeah, no, he's Peter Porker, the incredible Spider-Ham. And to answer your question, I think possibly, it's also possible that there's multiple iterations of Spider-Ham. Oh, yeah. That's mm-hmm. important to remember, because these characters that have been around for so many years have seen so many iterations at this point. Yeah, no, I just love Peter Porker. He's perfect. He conveys <laughs> everything I need him to convey. It's wonderful. Like I said, it's it could be sorcery. You could see these characters 
who are like, nope, look, I pulled a hammer out of my pocket. It's no big deal. It'll always fit right back in my pocket. Like, you can see characters that have that kind of delivery, that Roger Rabbity Buster and Bugs. Bu- okay, maybe it's just Magical Rabbits. <laughs> but can... And it's Magical Rabbits and John Mulaney as Spider-Ham. Yeah, you get that sense of limitless magic, that sense of they can actually do anything that could really overwhelm a movie like this. It, You know, he can pull hammer space out. That's phenomenal. That's hysterical. And it's also kind of a big deal in a film where you're talking about superpowers. Yeah. Because you're talking about superpowers. So it really does change the game. But they manage to keep him perfect. I think what helps sell him and everybody, actually, is they manage to... All the different spider people come from their own universe, but they also bring their own design with them. Like, they don't look like Miles and Peter. They don't look like... You know what I mean? Like, they're from their own world. So, like, Penny is like an anime character and you know noir is black and white and porker is yeah a looney tunes character right and so i just think like all of that contrast really helps sell them individually when he has to fight and it's like well how's he gonna best this oh he drops a freaking anvil on his head it's like perfect (laughs) like where did it come from who cares because I get it. Like, it's all visual, and it's all working so well. And I think it also ties in in a way, sort of a little bit of a different way, but in a similar way to how you guys are covering the MCU over on HTML about how you have people like Vision and Scarlet Witch who are just incredibly too powerful. Like, Spider-Ham, as far as I know, as a casual viewer who only knows Spider-Ham from this, he has the entire power of animation at his fingertips. And so how do you not have that overpower? How do you not have Scarlet Witch or Vision just be able to, like, destroy the world and you just sort of rein in their powers in one way or another and just sort of have them fit the the rules of the universe and I think it, it does it really well here. Yeah, absolutely. So Nico, can we talk a little bit because I, I don't know, I want to know a little bit more about uh, who's credited as interesting person number one, aka Miguel O'Hara, the Oscar Isaac character from the closing credits. Uh, I think everybody knows the pointing Spider-Man meme, I guess, or scene or whatever. But can you give a little bit of overview into, is that Spider-Man 2099? So it all starts about 40 years ago when they realized that Marvel characters were starting <laughs> to go through start 40 the same years ago? patterns. Oh, it's the same story. So I they know. realized that Marvel characters were starting to go through the same patterns over and over again. And in 1986, they tried to relaunch the Marvel Universe for its 25th anniversary, right? 86 was Marvel's 25th anniversary. Think about that shit. They relaunched it with the new universe and... The new universe was much more grounded in reality, so instead of having telepaths like Jean Grey, you had telepaths like Psy Force or Justice, and they were just like, I have powers and I'm angry and I'm also a cop, and like, just terrible, just terrible, terrible, terrible. When that didn't work, they decided the problem wasn't gritty reboot of existing idea with no originality. They decided the problem was that. So they're going to just use the same format, gritty reboot with no originality, and see what happens. And they threw it at the entire Marvel Universe all at once, and they did it with a line called 2099. And 2099 saw Spider-Man 2099, Punisher 2099, Doom 2099, X-Men 2099. Was there Ghost Rider, I think, as well? Yeah, Ghost Rider, and there were a couple of original characters, I think Ravage and Rampage. The idea was, what would the Marvel Universe look like in 110 years? How different would it be? And everything was gritty, and everything was violent, and everything was terrible. (laughs) The truth is... Doom 
and Spider-Man 2099 were ultimately pretty interesting. Spider-Man 2099 was so interesting and so popular that he actually still has a series now. The entire 2099 line has been ended for 20 years, but Spider-Man 2099 is so popular, he's been brought back multiple times, actually in part thanks to Edge of the Spider-Verse, which was the big event that this is based on, that brought a lot of characters back into the Marvel fold. Spider-Man 2099 is a half-Latino, half-Irish cop from the future, and his Spider-Man story is a little bit more, I guess we could say, like the Osborne side of things. It's very, you know, evil corporations bring down the man. He's not edgy, because of all the, the 2099 characters, he's probably the funniest, and that might even okay. be what I like about him. He is a breath of fresh air in an over-the-top, dramatic world. He's also written by a guy named Peter David. Peter David is a very popular writer. He's very talented. He's done some phenomenal runs on some very big-name books. He's just a really fascinating take on the Spider-Man mythos. He already had great responsibility when he received great power, as opposed to most Spider-Men who receive great power and learn responsibility. Okay. Like, it's hard to tell sometimes with these post credit scenes whether that's setting up a sequel or just a loving nod to fans. Was it Guardians? Or which movie? Because it was, it was one around that time that just Howard the Duck was the end. And, like, it's just like yeah, a... Guardians it's, 1. Yeah, yeah, he's in both Guardians. He's at, he's at the post credit mm-hmm. scene of Guardians 1, and he's on the uh, whore planet. The Ravagers go bang on. You know, that's the one where it's like, it's not. we're not going to have a Howard the Duck movie because there's, of, of course, the perfect Howard the Duck movie from the 80s with Leah Thompson, so just go watch that, I guess. But it's getting a cartoon on Hulu. What? Really? Yeah, there's going to be four shows running together on Hulu. It's Dazzler and Tigra. It's Howard the Duck. It's MODOK. And I forget the fourth one. Huh. And then they're all going to come together for a special event called The Offenders. Huh, okay. And it's an animated take on their Netflix universe over on Hulu, because Disney is 70% majority shareholder on Hulu now. Yeah, all right. Well, that I guess that, that tracks, but I wonder if, if we're going to see 2099 in another movie, or if that's just, mm-hmm. you know, to make people like you happier. The joy of a movie like Spider-Verse is that you could tell any story because you have literally every... I mean, I guess that's exactly... Like, every movie, you can tell any story you want. But here, like, you literally have the entire Spider-Verse at your fingertips, and the audience, if they're there for it, are along for the ride anyway. So you could do whatever you want. And I think that's, you know, I guess probably paralyzing as a creator, but also very freeing that whatever you want to do, whatever you love, whatever means the most to you, you can just put in there and a footnote on that and just like to highlight the depth of what you're talking about with there are so many iterations there's an x-men book called exiles it's based on a very popular story called the cross time caper it's what if this team of x-men one from you know they're each from a different universe and there's six of them blink who was a very popular character from age of apocalypse it's mimic who was an x-man in the 1960s for about three issues he'd been a villain he became a good guy and then died shortly after becoming an x-man thunderbird from an alternate universe where he'd become one of apocalypse's horsemen it's interesting takes it's kind of like this but it's been around for decades it's called exiles there's an exiles arc where the lesbian character from exiles sunfire It's a female version of Sunfire. She's great. She gets stranded in an alternate reality where they're trying to fight off a virus, and she winds up in a lesbian relationship with Mary Jane 
Watson, who is that universe's Spider-Man. <laughs> this is and reminding me that, of Mutant X when Havoc got tossed into like yeah, the dark universe. That character was so popular, she came back. Wow. The Hulk from Age of Apocalypse is so popular, he showed up in a Hulk special called Hulk Broken Worlds. When we talk about there's a limitless number of iterations to pull from, there really is a limitless number of iterations to pull from. There's a story called Earth X from 1999, which is a big famous story by Alex Ross and Jim Kruger. In it, there's a character called Spider's Man, who is made of like spiders that can allow him to cast illusions. I don't know, it's weird. But Spider's Man is a visually striking character that people enjoy, and he's turned back up in things. Because when you're talking about the number of limits being... Yeah, we're talking about the limitlessness being paralyzing. You're not kidding. It's, it's funny. It's even at one point I wondered if how much of this was a joke or whatever. But like, there's a shot of all of Peter Parker's suits in his cave, and it's like, look at the limitless number of suits I have in all my different fashions and everything. And it's like, okay, so like, not only across the entire multiverse do they look different, but even on their own universe they have like a myriad wardrobes to choose from and stuff like that so like you're right when you say like limitless like it's true like the variants are infinity and uh, i think that that for me has always been part of the fun you know the iron man and all of his suits and the variations throughout the years of uh, especially in DC when it's like all the different Earths at one point. That, yeah, I just love that about comics in general too. So it's great to see it well represented here. So that actually leads me to maybe the final big discussion question of the evening. Obviously my answer is going to be more Spider-Man Noir, but I'll start with you, Mike. For the sequel, for a sequel, for whatever, if there's another Spider-Verse movie, what do you want from the world of Spider-Man, either that's already depicted in this movie or that is not depicted that you just know about from outside of this movie? What do you want to see more of in a future Spider-Verse movie? I think I want to see... So, like, obviously I want to see, like, there's more Spider-Man I want to see and stuff, but I want to see more variations on the villains because fucking Liv Octavius was such a shock to me in this version like she's amazing we don't get that many bad guys or bad people like i love what they do with prowler like i was never i never really knew about the prowler to be honest back when i was reading i didn't know he became so awesome in the ultimates universe and like i just love the way it sort of mimics the uncle ben arc and everything you know it's still peter's uncle he's still semi-responsible for his death and great and stuff so i I would love to see them dive into more variations of that like we get the one line about spider gwen's peter parker who turned into the lizard i was like holy shit i want that i want i need to see like that spider gwen story unfold and stuff so i think for me just like straight off the top of my head i'm gonna see more more of the bad peoples maybe do like the sinister 60 and just have like so many villains (laughs) dude could you imagine like the rhino getting into an argument with of you know alternate universe of version of himself like sure insane kevin what about you what do you want to see what would you like to see the most in a uh, future spider-verse movie you know i'm not really sure a lot of what you guys were saying i loved the backstories that we saw bits of with the other characters so it'd be cool to see more stuff like that it would appear that a film is a sequel is definitely in the works at Mm -hmm. least currently and it looks like there's going to be more romance between gwen and miles and i kind of wish there was less instead i'd rather see these characters stand on their own they're gonna do what they're gonna do jonah what about you what do you want to what would you like to see in a future spider-verse movie i agree with you guys said i want more villains the villains we had weren't bad and they were actually 
pretty cool. I love the scorpion's design. I thought it was so interesting and very different from the scorpion that I know. I know uh, one of the other villains was Tombstone. I wish he actually got a few more lines because I think he only spoke maybe once the entire film. And so that was just a little bit of an odd choice. I know that we had much more important villains that had that needed that dialogue, but it would have been nice to have a variability with that. I want more Spider-Men. I want I want different ones. I want ones that I've never heard of. What if they're just new ones that they're just creating for this movie and then that sparks their own comics to begin with? Different ones. I would love to see more variety and I think the ones that we got were great, but I would just I just want more. Actually, that's that's actually a question that I I don't know the answer to, and maybe one of you four does. Is there anything in this movie that is truly unique to this movie, aside from the way that like I guess things blend together? But are there characters or versions or anything that is brand new to this, or is everything from this movie does it all exist? elsewhere already if nothing else it's all unique iterations if the entire idea is that everything is based on multiversity Mm -hmm. then by virtue of showing this film and these characters because they are not stated to be other versions we've already seen they're all unique versions for this there's different timelines where peter and mj have not been successful but this particular peter and mj story is kind of unique this Miles' origin is unique. Okay, so Nico, what what about you? What what do you what do you most want to see in a in a in a future movie? Now that you know that this is a beautiful movie that you should not be afraid of, I think what I would want to see is a situation that would more require Spider Man. The thing that this situation required was the heart of Spider Man. It required the thing that makes everybody the same underneath the mask: the bravery, the desire to do better, and. That's wonderful, but I would love to see something that takes specific iterations. I want to see something that utilizes Spider-Gwen, and I want to see something that utilizes Spider-Man Noir, and bring in some different Spider-Men. While it was very cool that it was the heart of being a Spider-Man that saved the day, there's still some room for, like, weirder stuff, like Ezekiel and the Spider-Totem. There's room for Stranger that could be more defined by who they are and not the fundamental role they play. I like that. I appreciate that. I, I think that's a, a smart way to sort of build upon the characters that they set out here, that you know who they are. Now let's use them how they're best served. So I think I like that a lot. And speaking of characters who are best served in this movie, uh, we got to talk about uh, the Stanio, uh, the multiple Stanios. Oh, yeah. Not only does he have a great part as the shop owner after Peter Parker, after the Chris Pine Peter Parker, this universe's Peter Parker dies, um, where he's got a great loving part there. I just genuinely love his his. I don't always love his cameos in the, in the MCU movies, but I loved it here. But apparently, what I was reading is that he is he can be found throughout this entire movie because so many animators wanted to animate him that he's basically on every train that you see. If you can pause it, he's like on every train. He's like on sidewalks and stuff. Like he's you know the Stanley character is all over the place. So first of all, I love the the Kevo coin Stanio from HTML, but also I just love his inclusion here. And so um, anybody have any thoughts about that other than just he's great and this is you know both he and Steve Ditko both died and were you know this movie is in memory in honor of both of them. I don't have anything on that, but when you said a character best served in this movie, I thought you were going to make a spider ham joke. (laughs) I was like, oh God, some kind of like bacon venom. Oh 
yeah, 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 yeah. First of all, uh, gracias and you're welcome for the turn Stamio. <laughs> uh, second, there's also a hidden Stamio in, in this film. The Earth-67 Spider-Verse that we see at the end. J. Jonah Jameson is voiced by Stan Lee himself. Oh, oh really? This actually, it fulfilled a lifelong dream of him to portray... Uh, J. Jonah Jameson, because the character was loosely based on Stanley himself, and he always wanted to play J. Jonah, and that was his opportunity to get to before he before he passed. That's awesome. That, you know, that's a, I never occurred to me, but when you say that, he does kind of look like J. Jonah Jameson. That's wild. Like I never put that together. And he does always want pictures of <laughs> Spider Man. <laughs> and similar. I mean, this is this is not at all similar, but also kind of similar in the beginning of the movie where they say, "With great power comes great responsibility." It's a line from the first Spider-Man, where Cliff Robertson, who played Uncle Ben in that movie, it's a it's a quote taken from that and put in here because uh, Cliff Robertson passed away in 2011. So I just like that yeah. it's this movie, as we've been saying for this whole episode, basically, it's just so loving and so respectful, willing to bend the rules to have fun and just show the level of care and love and respect it as for the franchise and for the characters and just. Like little things like that just make me happy to hear about. Yeah, it's one of the things that I love the most about Marvel films, whether it's this, whether it's the MCU. People just want to make them good and they want to have fun. Yeah. You know, that's why I think there absolutely is a possibility that you could see tons more Spider-Man noir because I'm sure Nick Cage had a great time doing it. Everyone tends to love their experience working on Marvel films. The only reason they don't come back is usually exhaustion. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that they would have to worry about that for this. And also, what you guys have talked about—you know—the exhaustion, not just of filming, but like of having to stay in shape. If you're like, in a, if you're, if you're Captain America, like you can't can't have a cheeseburger because you always need to look like Captain America. <laughs> yeah, Chris Chris Evans hasn't eaten cake this whole decade. Poor man. <laughs> I, I'm still shocked that he hasn't made like an action movie between Marvel movies because he's just staying in shape. Like you know, like he's got the look down. Just have him running through the jungle or something for 90 minutes. But. Yeah. I Never. guess he's just too tired. I guess so, yeah. He's just going to have those, you know, whatever that movie was he made with Jenny Slate about their precocious child. You're right. He kind of makes these movies where yeah. he's, like, in, like, middle school for one reason or another. Like Gifted. Other, he's, yeah. That or... <laughs> what is the opposite of me playing Captain America? I'm more than my body, you guys. <laughs> and there's so much cool trivia about, you know, Lord and Miller and the... The other guys who went into making this movie, mm. the whole, all the 180 animators, like the literally the hundreds and hundreds of people, of men and women who made this movie, uh, go check out the IMDb trivia, read up about this because it's all just such so passionate and just so loving. I also want to point out, I would, I would be remiss to, to not say that this won the Oscar for Best Animated Feature, and it's the first time I think since Rango that a movie that wasn't Disney or Pixar to win that award, so uh, shout out Spider-Verse for bucking that trend i mean as much as i'm sure we all love disney it's all it's also nice to have what i thought was the best animated movie last year actually win um so shout out spider-verse mike anything other, any other thoughts about into the spider-verse before we close up shop and come back in a couple of weeks for actually i think if this comes out tomorrow as we're recording this there is a cage clip revisited today which is the humanity bureau what did we record last week <laughs> what was that we, the first we got first, this is Humanity Bureau. So today-ish, the Humanity Bureau Cage Club Revisited is out. We'll be back in two weeks for, you know, Lord of War and Knowing in 4 Cage Month. But, Mike, any other thoughts about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse before we uh, 
close up shop on this episode. I mean, there's so much other stuff that we didn't get to that, I mean, we just can't get to. There's just not time. I mean, yeah. I love Miles's new powers. Like, I think that's great. Like, they, you know, to expand on Spider-Man's abilities and things like that. At first, I thought it was a little weird in the Raimi movies that he shot the webs from his wrists and stuff. But over time, I was like, no, I want him to, like, evolve more. Like, I always thought it was kind of cool when, like, he grew four extra arms and needed help to stop mutating into a real spider. I was like, oh, yeah, more of that kind of thing. So I loved Miles' new powers and stuff, invisibility and the sting. But most of all, like, the man, like, this just, the animation is just incredible. Like, you know, the look of this movie is just beautiful. Can't stress that enough. Like, for want of a sequel alone is just to watch more of this look you know, yeah. on screen, more of this type of animation and like see even, you know, how much further can they push it even m- more, you know, like what would other universes look like, you know, if Miles had to go recruit a whole crew of new people, like, you know, that would be a pretty cool idea. Like he goes universe hopping. Uh, so like, I really love the style, really love the story and yeah, just all around. It's just great. Nico, Jonah, Keva, what about you guys? What, what other thoughts do you have about, uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, well, I'm really excited to download the EP A Very Spidey Christmas, which apparently consists of five Christmas songs sung Ooh, by the Spider-Men. Whoa. That's what I'm doing immediately after this show. <laughs> I just discovered that that's a thing. I was reading something that, like, that I think it was Lord Miller didn't know if Chris Pine could sing or would want to sing, and then they heard his voice, and he's like, oh, I would absolutely sing Christmas songs. They do the Very Spidey Christmas, but yeah, that's just such a wonderful, weird Easter egg in this movie, so you have to you have to report back. Maybe you'll maybe you can drop it into a future episode of HTML. Just a side note: here's the here's my review of the uh, very spidey EP Christmas. So I look forward to oh, hearing you know about it. that. Jonah and Nico, what about you guys? Any other thoughts? Any other last you know parting words about this movie? I think what made me love this movie so much is that it did Spider-Man justice in the way that I think Spider-Man should have been done. When Spider-Man was first created, he became so popular because Stanley made him so relatable. And everyone who's reading Spider-Man can say, I could have been him. Mm -hmm. And I think with the introduction of Miles Morales as the main character of this movie, it helped bring that to light for a new generation of people. And I really appreciated that and loved it. Very well said. I totally agree. And Nico? thought it was pretty. I totally agree there, too. Very well said there, too. I mean, like, legit. Like, I just thought it was attractive. I thought it was nice to look at. I thought the elements that they borrowed from different runs and... I felt Peter B. Parker looked a lot like Paulo Rivera's Peter Parker from One Moment in Time. Like I said earlier, I felt like Kingpin looked very Sienkiewicz. I felt Miles Morales, you know, did kind of have that Pacelli look. Uh, yeah, I just think it really visually was attractive. It was aesthetically pleasing for sure. And I think one thing that, Mike, you and I for sure talked about on the little mini episode that we recorded when we first saw this movie is that, I mean, it's obviously a superhero movie, but it feels like a comic book movie in a way that few, if any, movies in this recent surge of of superhero movies that have come out, like the fact that there are thought bubbles on screen and there's the drawings, there's the dot art, and there's Mm -hmm. just so many just loving references and allusions and just the visual representation of it all, it feels unique and fresh, even though... It's just really being drawn in the way that for something that's been around for 70, 80, 90 years or whatever. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I also feel like this is something you can't fully capture in live action. I mean, you know, Scott Pilgrim does a pretty good job of being comic-like 
in this way with like a lot of the thought bubble things and you know early batman 66 that was the whole goal was to make it very pop art and like bright and shiny like a comic book and stuff but this yeah this is the real deal you know like you feel like you're in there and the pages are turning around you or something like it's great nico kevo jonah thank you all so much for joining us i have listened to your shows obviously enough to be able to quote the outros to all of them verbatim but why don't the three of you uh, describe access for podcast and html and also if you would indulge us now and again as well and let people know where they can find you and what they can listen to and what you guys do here on the Cage Club Podcast Network. Hi, everyone. So I'm Nico. I've been with the company for three years. It's been a terrific <laughs> three years in which I've seen personal growth. I started out by being a co-host on one podcast, and now I get to give only vaguely researched opinions all the damn time. So I'm on Now and Again, uh, Chris Podcast, the aforementioned Chris Podcast, brought me on to be part of Now and Again, where we talk about the now. That's what I call music collections, which we can't believe still exist, considering their Spotify playlists. <laughs> and yeah, it's just it's stunning. Mostly, though, we devolve into just kind of yelling at each other in a really good way for the most part, except when All American Rejects comes up. Then it gets cantankerous. Mm. And you guys have something special planned for the summer, right? Oh, I better say, however, this summer we're taking off from the Now That's What I Call Musics to talk in depth about Carly Rae Jepsen's complete discography. I was under the impression it was just going to be the emotion material, but he made me listen to stuff she did like... 10 years ago that I'm mad at her about. I wish she hadn't done it. I just oh, no. don't know why she did it. So bad. So oh, it was man. Like, we all do things. Kevin, why don't you tell us about uh, one of the things you do? Why don't you tell us about HTML? Well, HTML is where I stand around talking with this guy about all sorts of different stuff, but mostly right now focused on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Which tied in pretty nicely with this episode. Sure did. You give you give some very well researched BTS on the MCU. Yeah, I do what I can. I like knowing uh, what goes into making all these different movies. I had no idea that the people who were responsible for this movie were the people who brought us Clone High before this week, and that's fan freaking tastic. There's a billboard somewhere in this movie for Clone College too, which I guess is the unimagined sequel to Clone High. So, and if nothing else from your BTS, now Nico knows what a cinematographer is and so I consider that a win. He knows lots of other things. <laughs> and Jonah, why don't you tell us uh, tell the listeners about Exes for Podcasts and your uncanny journey through uh, Marvel's Merry Mutants. Absolutely. So as it was mentioned earlier, I have a very fond love of Nightcrawler, and he is what inspired the project of X's for Podcast. We're going through the main Uncanny uh, issues, starting with Giant Size X-Men number one, which is Kurt Wagner's first appearance, as well as a bunch of other X-Men. And we're going through all the titles and seeing what it's like for a first-time reader, me and Nico, who's read these years ago and so often, so many different times. And it's a really interesting comparison. We have other guests, like Kevo is our Captain Britain expert. We have yeah. Kyle, who does the unfortunate series of champions. And, <laughs> oh, it's bad. But yeah, we just love talking about the X-Men and complaining about the classic backup stories. I love it. Access for Podcast comes out every Wednesday, MCU comes out every Thursday, and also most Tuesdays, depending on how things break down, so go check those out. And now and again comes out on the 1st and 15th of every month, so plenty of Nico, plenty of Kevo, and plenty of Jonah to go around. All the back catalog on cageclub.me. And one last thing, I know that we had a, had a sort of a, put a nice little bow on this episode, but as we're recording, I'm watching the movie again. What I loved, which I'm sure I noticed the first time, but I forgot about, when Miles goes down to that subterranean basement in Aunt May's backyard, 
And the first time he looks up at the Spider-Man costume, he only comes up to his chest. And then at the end, after he is basically told, you're not good enough, you're not strong enough to help us, he goes back there and his face is over the face and he is finally uh, Spider-Man. I just think it's a beautiful little visual detail that in our own way, we are all Spider-Man and we can all feel the, uh, the, the thwipping and the whipping and the slinging needed to be Spider-Man for our own lives. So thank you all so much for joining us. And for all things, all 25 shows on the Cage Club Podcast Network, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, mailbag at cageclub.me. Thank you, Lena, for emailing in about Trespass. Uh, always happy to talk about a VOD, straight-to-VOD Nicolas Cage movie, of course. Hmm. Go to patreon.com slash cageclub, kick us a couple bucks, help decide the future of the network. What do you want to hear us talk about? Do you want merch? We also are on Threadless now. Go to cageclub.threadless.com and go buy merch if you want merch. If you want a skateboard with Nicolas Cage's face on it, please don't send us a cease and desist. Uh, go there. Or if you want a beautiful access for podcast shirt or mug or whatever, Go do that, cageclub.threadless.com. Check out our Cage Club Revisited every other Thursday, and Mike and I will hopefully be back a few more times this year for other Cage movies. But honestly, Mike, I have no idea what's coming out next, so, you know, it, it's it's up in the air right now. I know. Last year, I mean, what was it, eight movies, nine movies? I mean, like, it was out of control. I think hopefully we get at least, you know, two or three, but I have no clue what is next to be released. It's already March. It's going to be April soon, so. And this is technically one that came out last year. Like, this is not even really a new, new one, you know what I mean? So, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Very nervous right now. <laughs> what is the next one going to be? Anyway, I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Nico J. Vasillo. Oh, wow, look at you jumping in there. And that's Kevo Reese and Jonah Rubino, or Jonah.Rubino, respectively. And I'm available at Nico Action. That's N I C O A C T I O N. Don't forget to check out the Instagram and the Patreon and the guys. It's so weird. I'm not ending a show. I'm like having a mental breakdown. I'm like, no, no, there's Kevo Reese. K E V O R E A L L Y. So go check out all of that. I told you, I've listened to your shows enough that I know the entire. I know how to find all of your social profiles in my sleep. Cage Club.me. We'll see you next time, whenever that is, right here on Cage Club. <laughs>